Today we continue our study of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So open your Bibles to Ephesians. And join me as I pray Psalm 1914. The heart cry of David, the shepherd king. Father God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Now for the past seven weeks, we have looked at the many ways God has blessed us in Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul wants us to rejoice knowing that we are chosen by God the Father. God made his plans to bring us home before time, before creation. Paul wants us to rejoice knowing that we are redeemed by God the Son. God himself purchased our freedom. And finally, Paul wants us to rejoice knowing that we are sealed by God the Holy Spirit. Everything we owed is paid in now Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 which was our text last week look at it it's a tough read it's painful but it's necessary to understand here the apostle Paul describes our moral and spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ when you're in Christ you are freed from these things there's always the lure and the temptation to go back to the old ways to backslide, as they often call it. So that's only apart from Christ. But here's who we were, and maybe for some of you who you are even today. First, we are dead, we are fallen and broken beyond human repair. Second of all, we are blind to God's glory and deaf to God's spirit. And finally, we are guilty and under the sentence of God's wrath. There's something that we need to remember. This deadly virus of sin is still spreading. And this is a pandemic more deadly than COVID or influenza or the bubonic plague or smallpox or HIV, AIDS or Ebola, and it's ravaging the earth still, even today. The earth is being ravaged. Medicine cannot stop the spread of sin. And everybody, the mortality rate is 100%. Everybody dies from it. But do we also understand that sin has many side effects? And one of the most serious is spiritual blindness. Countless millions on earth don't believe this spiritual disease is even real. And self-knowledge of our condition is beyond us without the help of God. Why? Because this disease is a spiritual heart disease. My nephew, the cardiologist, can treat the primary organ of the circulatory system, but he cannot treat this the prophet Jeremiah put it into context, quoting God when he wrote, the heart, the spiritual heart is deceitful above all things. 
and desperately sick. It says in the ESV. And then it adds this phrase, who can even understand it? The root meaning of the word deceitful is to take. Deceit steals truth from our mind and heart. The NIV translation puts it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The King James, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now David the shepherd king caught a glimpse of himself and he wrote two verses, one in Psalm 19 and one in Psalm 51. He wrote, who can discern his own errors? I don't even know myself. We saw that last week in Romans chapter 7 where Paul said, the very thing that I know that I should do, I don't do. And that which I hate, that's what I do. And then David wrote this in Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, it's a hard thing to say to parents, to say to Caleb and Christina, and to say to their family, or to say to Ben and his family, I have no hope for you in this world without Jesus Christ. Because you have a disease. But there's good news. Jesus Christ, by the blood of Christ, you are changed. He loves you. No one can know the extent of their sinfulness because we lie to ourselves. And the most dangerous lie is this, believing that we can save ourselves. One of the most popular self-help books of all time is I'm okay, you're okay. Now, I miss bookstores. I miss the bookstore, the Borders store by Villanova University. I used to go there every two weeks. I'd get a coffee, I'd gather up a stack of books. I would buy some of them. <laughs> and I would just put my hands on books and find books that were writing things like a window into the soul and things that I needed to hear. But I have watched over the years since my days of college how the self-help section has literally taken over. Everybody is spiritual, but very few are changed. And so I'm Okay, You're Okay was written by Dr. Thomas Harris. It has sold over 15 million copies. It's been reprinted over and over and over and translated into dozens of languages. The publishers put this quote from the Los Angeles Times on the cover of the latest edition. I read it on Friday. Extraordinary. Harris has helped millions find the freedom to change, liberate their adult effectiveness, and achieve joyful intimacy with others. The problem is, it's not true. We are not okay. We are blind to our hope. We are blind to our healing. Remember this, Ephesians was written to announce the good news that help has arrived. Planet Earth. Ephesus, in Asia, minor, I'm writing to you. Paul is shouting from this letter that there is hope for our fallen world, and it is found in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to save us. That's what he was writing. 
And this is why the Holy Spirit preserved it, so he could say it to us 2,000 years later. Now, I would say this. We cannot grasp with gratitude how far we have come up in Christ until we see just how far we have fallen. It's no wonder that the three hardest words to say in any language are, I am wrong. I am wrong. Yes, you are. We are all guilty. Paul writes, but we are not forgotten. We were chosen by God the Father before creation. And I say to you, that's a profound truth on Father's Day. Your heavenly Father loves you. And so everything that we read in the Bible that is good, that is full of hope and love and mercy, turns on two words which begins our passage today. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm reading verses 4 to 10. And here's how we begin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at this. Go back and look at this. We were dead in sin, but God made us alive with Christ. We were captives of the devil and enslaved by the world, but God raised us up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. We deserve judgment. But God, because of Jesus Christ, has promised us eternal life filled, as he writes here, with the immeasurable riches of his grace. Look at verse 4 and 5. These two verses describe the miracle of what's called regeneration. In Latin, it means to bring forth again. Regeneration. Jesus told us how this happened. In John chapter 3, one of the wisest men of his time was Nicodemus who slipped away at night. He was a part of the great high council called the Sanhedrin. And he went to Jesus out of curiosity. His heart was searching, seeking. He wanted the eyes of his heart open, but he didn't know where to turn. And so he went to Christ. And Jesus, I think with a smile, looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's the word regeneration born again but God being rich in mercy four and five because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses we're dead but we're made alive together in Christ I asked the worship team just at the last minute to sing Michael W. Smith's song he wrote a song that I believe describes the very moment 
when by the gift of saving faith we are made alive together with Christ. I remember my moment, young and rebellious, trying to change the world, but I could not change myself. And there I was with a pastor at midnight. What was I doing in church on a midnight, on a New Year's Eve? Crazy. But God led me. He put me there. He put me in the second row. He opened my heart that night, and the pastor said, some of you are here tonight, and you are going to be the same person one year from tonight that you are right now, unless Jesus Christ regenerates you, changes you from within. And then he quoted a Bible verse. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I would find it many years later. He quoted 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says, If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. They're regenerated. The old is gone. And the new has come. And I thought, who has told him everything about me? I so desperately want to get out of that church. But it was crowded, and I was sitting next to the pastor's daughter. <laughs> and her grandparents were next to her. And I said, this is a setup. <laughs> I have never felt so hot anywhere. I was just literally pouring with sweat. Regeneration. When a woman has a baby... It is a painful experience. There's a lot of water involved. Jesus said we're born of water and the Spirit. You must be born again, regenerated. And so Michael Smith wrote this, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and your love as we sing holy, Holy, holy. Notice the word there is we. We were raised in Christ. We are in Christ. We are not alone. It's the reason that we need to gather every week and more often. It's the reason on Thursday night a group is coming together to rejoice, to have fun and to eat together, to be together in Christ. This week I met with a good friend who is very concerned about his family. He's at the point in his life where he can see the end. He's talking a lot about his funeral and making preparations for it. But his heart breaks for his family. Some have drifted away. Some have turned hard away from Christ. And some have simply rejected the idea that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He said, what should I do? And so I gave him this suggestion. I said, ask some of your closest friends in Christ to pray for your family by name. Pray daily over a two-week period. Prayer is so critical because it softens the heart to hear the word. Otherwise, it would just be hard like concrete, resistant like wood. And then organize a time, ideally, over a meal that you might prepare for them where you can tell them your story. Your story cannot be refuted. 
They might not like it. Your story is true. They can't call it a lie. They know you. Your story can be supported by the word, but you're not preaching. You're telling the great things God has done in and through you. And then tell them when and how the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of your heart to see Jesus as your Savior, high and lifted up. Look at verse 5 and verse 8, chapter 2. In these two verses, Paul is answering three questions. Question one, what has God done for us? Question two, how did God do it? And question three, why did he do it? Now, like we have the two words, but God, here we have the two words, by grace, by grace. Verse five, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. So what has God done? Question 1, what has he done? He has saved us. We were dead. That's what it means, dead, no life at all. And we were made spiritually alive and alert by a miracle of God. We were held captive by the devil to do his will, but now we are enthroned before God himself, and one day we'll be there. Everybody here today in Christ is a walking miracle. There's one right there. He's in Christ. Question two, how did God do it? The answer, according to the Apostle Paul, two more words, by grace through faith. Now, what we have here are three of the most important words of Christianity. No three words better express the essential truth of what we call the good news of the gospel. Three words. Word number one, salvation. That means deliverance from death and slavery and wrath. And this salvation guarantees our new life in Christ. And it also guarantees that one day we will be exalted and seated in the heavenly realms, beholding him face to face. Word number two is grace. By grace, by grace. Grace is God's free and undeserved mercy. I can't say it any simpler than that. And I would say this to you, remember something. There is more mercy and grace in Christ than sin in us. And thirdly is the word faith. Faith means a humble trust birthed in our hearts. Before I had no trust at all, and then it was birthed in my heart. I was broken with the humility, seeing my sin for the first time. I was hot, like I told you. I was weeping, like I told you. Humble trust birthed in our hearts. And by this gift of saving faith, we receive him for ourselves. But after that, we are not alone. We become a part of a family, and a big part of it is here today.
And then in verse 9, Paul makes it clear how we are not saved and why. We did nothing to earn our salvation. Let me give you three words. Zip, zero, and zilch. Nada. Nothing. Don't hold on to it. There is nowhere to be found anything that would matter to God except a bowed head and a broken heart. Why? So that we would not boast. God hates pride. Did you know that? He hates it. Dr. John Stott wrote this. We should not be able to round heaven like peacocks. Heaven will be filled with the exploits of Christ alone and the praises of our God. And then number three, why did he do it? Look at verse 7. Out of his sheer mercy and love and kindness and grace. And he did it to show the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's verse 7. And then he concludes with a glorious verse, number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, it could sound a little confusing, but let me just restate a couple of things. We are not saved by works of any kind, but we were created on the other side of our conversion for works of righteousness. Otherwise, the world has no agent of display, no ambassador bringing hope, no one to identify, no one to see, no one to hear. Works don't save us, but they do testify to the saving work of Jesus Christ. See the phrase there, prepared beforehand? This is again a reference to the eternal plan of the Father. Prepared before time. Prepared before creation. We don't have time to do this, but I would love to call out every name in this room and say to you by name, you have unique gifts and talents fitted to you perfectly. A perfect fit. Paul told the young church in Corinth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, and I love this phrase, even the things that are not. Yeah. It's like, you don't even exist for me. Oh, well, in the sight of God, that's not true. I called you, I know you by name. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, I know how many of you feel. I often feel this way myself. I don't have much talent or education or money. Never enough money 
But here's the truth. God whispers to my heart, but you have me. You have God, but God, but God, but God. And so what should we do? Well, look at the phrase there. We should walk in them, walk in the gifts, walk in the calling, walk in the authority, walk in the joy. That's what I loved about Ben's story. He's bringing his friends to youth group. He's walking with them to youth group. That's what it means. The NIV says, what God prepared in advance for us to do. Ten years ago, during my annual physical, I made the mistake of telling my physician that I got dizzy a couple times when I stood up too fast. Oh, really? He said. (laughs) So he slipped his little chair over in front of the computer and started to type. I said, what are you typing? In order for you to get an echocardiogram. I'm going, oh, what a fool. Why'd you say anything? (laughs) It's a test that measures the health of the heart. And so there I am in a room with three doctors and a nurse, barely dressed, taped up with wires, and they say, you know, you're, you got elevated blood pressure and pulse. I say, well, yeah, of course, I'm half naked here in front of four people. <laughs> in other words, cut me a little slack. <laughs> so they did the test. And I could hear them whispering. And I said, what's the diagnosis? And they almost said in unison, you're out of shape. Your heart is fine, but you're out of shape. I said, well, what do I need to do? And they said, anything. (laughs) I said, what does that mean? They said, walk every day with weights preferably, jog slowly, work your way up, go to the gym, ride a bike, all these things. All right. The doctor said on the way out the room, just keep moving. Just keep moving. That's what Paul says. Keep moving toward Christ with people in mind. People that are lost and hurting, look for them along the way. Use those gifts that I've given to you. Speak the truth in love. I would say to you here at Springton Lake, 90% of effective ministry is just showing up. If nobody shows up, it's zero zip, zilch. We can't do anything. And that's why that list that I gave to you today, and particularly that list for Camp Treasure Island, we need you to show up. All right, let me put it a better way. He's asking you to show up. The wisest man who ever lived wrote this in Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person... Someone who doesn't quit, who can find? Yes, we are lost and fallen, but in Christ, we are found and restored, 
King David could see the future glory of sinners saved by grace when he wrote in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them the rulers over the works of your hand. You know what that says to me in application here? We are the hands and the feet and the wallet and the voice of Jesus Christ. And so let me personalize this in closing. Verse 10. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you and you and you and you and all through the room should walk in them. Our closing song is one of my favorites. It's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Let me just read a part of it as the worship team comes. We'll sing it all. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon His shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. But now I will not boast in anything no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection.